Okay, all right, one more announcement before we start here real quick. Because um, I can totally feel the brotherly love that just happened just now. That was amazing. Um, I just wish some someday someone would love me like that. Okay. Um, all right. So so one more thing I wanted to mention was that the guys, there's going to be a men's breakfast put on by the men's ministry, and you guys are invited as well. But it's going to be on Saturday, February 13th at 9 a.m. It's going to cost nine bucks. Um, so it's going to be a great opportunity. They're doing it at Camp Choff out in Dalton. Um, so make sure that you are able to attend that because that will be a great time for us to hang out with some of the other guys at the church. So, yeah. Also, I've forgotten, I don't know if you mentioned it or not, but the senior high girls are invited to the junior high girls' study this Friday. I believe Shay is teaching it. Nice. So, um, if you guys need more information, there are flyers across the hall I can grab for you. But we can also put it in group me. So, yeah. There you go. Okay. Awesome. Okay. All right. So, uh, so welcome back. Um, so we're doing our Q and A. Typically, we were, we're only doing this the last wins of every month, but the the two questions that we got on the onset of the Q and A from last week were so weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Muy interesante. Um, that's interesting for those of you that don't speak Spanish. Um, no, I speak. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so they they're they're just really interesting questions. So last week, if you missed it, we talked about the flying rolls in the Bible, and we talked about out of Zechariah five, and we went through the whole chapter of Zechariah five to talk about how the Bible actually does talk about UFOs, and how UFOs are closely tied with the land of Shinar. And what is the land of Shinar? Somebody give me a quick recap. The Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel. So that's where the Tower of Babel took place. It's the first time outside of the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve and, and, and the devil really tempting Adam and Eve that you have worldwide rebellion take place. And that's what divided the entire earth and where languages even came from. But what was the interesting part about the Tower of Babel that we talked about? Yes, they could actually reach the third heaven because Jesus himself, who came down and walked and saw the tower, he says, now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. So if we're going to believe the Bible, we believe the Bible here at this church. We believe what the Bible says, not what we think the Bible says, but what does the Bible actually say? God himself said that nothing, and by the way, nothing means Nothing. nothing, in case you're wondering or have any confusion on that, nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. So all the things that they have imagined to do in their mind and in their heart, God says they're going to be able to do it. And it says very specifically that the top of that tower may reach unto heaven, the third heaven where God's throne is. So we ended last week just talking about that whole concept and how it's only one of two things. And one would be some sort of a portal that would make it to the third heaven. Uh, because if you were to actually go straight north through the universe, you would actually hit the windows and doors of heaven where God's throne literally is. Or there was some sort of a spacecraft that could actually travel and get there. And so then we saw a crazy video talking about UFOs and, and flying objects that no one really knows where it even came from. And some of the, so some of these things have legit traces back to historical fact and there's some other things that we could go on that but it, we would get so far into the weeds that we just really needed to move on so we started talking about that and then we tied it back with the Tower of Babel and we're also going to be tying it back to Genesis chapter 6 especially for tonight but the stuff with UFOs and the stuff even with what we're going to talk about tonight which is vampires and werewolves 
So we can talk about that one tonight, which is another weird one. Does the Bible say anything about that? And what's the deal with that one? So there you go. It's pretty amazing. Those are the, the pictures you can look at for that one. Um, but this all goes back to Genesis 6, all of it. Because interestingly enough, like even today, I was perusing a few websites and I was taking a look at some different things when it comes to, um, you know, satanic rituals and consuming of blood and all this kind of stuff. And there's blood magic and there's things like that that are out there on the Internet, which if you've never looked it up, I don't necessarily recommend it. But there was a website that, believe it or not, on the headers of this particular website where it tells you how to do some of that stuff, some of the satanic witchcraft stuff, there's a whole section on UFOs and aliens. And I'm like, how weird is that? You have UFOs and aliens tied together with dark magic, satanic ritualism, talking about blood magic. It's just very interesting to me. So a lot of these things are really tied together, and a lot of them have traces back into some mythological aspects that you know I know that I've learned when studying Roman mythology, Greek mythology, and things like that. So we're going to get into some weird aspects tonight, but there are some very interesting things. So here's my goal. I want to boil it down and make it very, very simple, but I want you to be able to leave here knowing that the Bible truly does have answers. And I also want you to leave here knowing that all mythology is not just straight-up mythology. All the stories that we've had throughout centuries that have been weird have their traces back to somewhere. Like even the whole concept of Santa Claus, which, is anyone here that believes in Santa Claus, by the way? Sorry, Andy. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But that, I mean, you start to think about a magical guy who delivers presents. Like, those have traces back to a legitimate man who loved God and was probably born again, who did give gifts to people secretly as a way to bless them. But throughout the years, things have got kind of, you know, magnified and blown out of proportion. But there are things, there are traces in mythology that can legitimately be traced back throughout human history to some pretty crazy and weird things. So we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. But my goal is I want you to leave here with a greater appreciation for the Bible. I want you to understand that the Bible is way more dynamic than what you may think it is. And I want you to understand that there are things that exist in our culture today that we call mythology that probably there are some elements that were legitimately true back in the day. So we're going to talk about this. Okay, so let's talk about this. This is probably the best place for us to begin. Um, Vampires and werewolves, they're universally known as... Good or evil? Evil. Evil. Unless it's Twilight. Yeah, yeah. No, even the evil. (laughs) Yeah. So, evil creatures, but I would also throw another term on this, and that would be cursed. I think curse is a very accurate term. Um, They are cursed creatures. Because even like when you get into some of the stories of vampires and werewolves, typically it involves magic and involves other things. But the other overarching theme that I see between those two is that they are cursed creatures. Even when it comes to the stories of vampires living forever and and the, the things that they talk about with how they see all these things and they become apathetic because they see all this stuff throughout human history and they can never die. Or werewolves that they get tortured because every so often they turn into these werewolves and they have no control over it. Like, there's this concept of being cursed. So I think it's very accurate to say that they are cursed. And they also consume blood in human flesh. That's very common when it comes to the stories of werewolves and vampires. So what's interesting about that is that the consuming of blood and the consuming of human flesh is forbidden all over the Bible. All over the Bible. Let's take a look at a couple of these spots. Go over to Acts 15. So New Testament. We know it says in the Old Testament, but let's take a look at Acts 15 in the New Testament. So this is after the formation of the church and after Paul was sent out 
and he was starting to do his work because um, he was sent out in chapter 13. And so during his first missionary journey, he comes back, and as he's rehearsing all the things that God had done through him, they have this council together, and they end up coming with a, an interesting conclusion. There's something really interesting that they say about um, this conclusion. So take a look at verse 19. So Acts 15, verse 19. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. So Gentiles that were born again, that got saved. Verse 20. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Verse 21, For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preached him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day, and then it pleased the apostles and the elders and the whole church, and they sent these things out. So, as you can look at here, just even the way that this verse is written, you have these born-again believers that were Gentiles. Okay, that's awesome. They're saved. God's going to use them. The Holy Spirit has indwelt them. That's amazing. Well, let's make sure that we write unto them that they stay away from pollutions of idols. Now, if you do a study on idols, you'll actually get into the worship of devils. Because in 1 Corinthians, it talks about how when people are worshiping idols, they're actually worshiping the devilish spirit behind that idol. And so you get the worship of devils from idols, and it's associated with fornication, so sexual immorality, and it's associated with murder, strangled, and from blood, the consuming of blood. So all these things are interconnected. And it was very common among the Gentiles. These are just pagan religions that existed back in the day. So if you do any amount of research throughout history, you'll find out that it was common that pagan rituals, pagan religions were involved in these things. Having sex in order to uh, somehow you know, persuade different gods. I mean, even when you go back into ancient Greek and Roman mythology, you had uh, the, the, the gods of Mount Olympus that were coming down and having sex with women and then creating guys like Hercules and uh, these demigods that were half god, half man. So here you have this whole concept of sexual immorality, idolatry, uh, murder and strangling things, and the consuming of blood. Even in Ephesus, this was well known. In Ephesus, there was one of the seven wonders of the world, and it was the temple to Diana. Diana. One of the things about the temple of Diana is that Diana had these prostitutes, basically, on the outside of the temple that men would come and pay money to have sex with these women in order to gain the ear of Diana. So this is something that's very, very common throughout human history. So this is nothing new. And so here they say, stay away from these things. So it's forbidden in the New Testament. And of course, we know it's forbidden in the Old Testament. Uh, go back to Leviticus 17. Genesis, Exodus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Yeah, it's always there. Leviticus 17. 17. All right, Leviticus 17, and take a look at verse, let's see here, verse 6. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and burn the fat for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And they shall no more offer their sacrifices unto devils after whom they have gone a whoring. This shall be a statue forever unto them throughout their generations. So you see, they shouldn't be going after devils. And then take a look at verse 11. Verse 11. Actually, verse 10. And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, that eateth any manner of blood, 
I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood and will cut him off from among his people. And here's the reason. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. There's something very unique and very special about blood, and God forbids anyone to consume blood. And he says, because the life of the flesh is in the blood. So it's not a coincidence then when you go back in to these mythical stories of vampires that the reason they stay alive is because they do what? Drink your blood. Yes, they consume blood. They consume blood. And even the whole concept of, you know, when a regular human being is bitten by a vampire, there's something that takes place that gives them immortality. And, but in order to maintain immortality, they must constantly consume blood. There's just something weird about that. And God says very specifically that the life of the flesh is in the blood. It's in the blood, but we're not supposed to be consuming it. So obviously, here's another concept. When God tells you not to do something, that's because there's a reason behind it and that people were doing it. So God said, don't do it. And even the guys in the book of Acts saying these Gentiles, that they should not be doing any sort of idolatry. They should not be involved in any sexual immorality. They should, not, they should stay away from stuff strangled and from consuming blood. So obviously they were in the practice of doing some of those things in the pagan religions that they were very common to. So you have those common uh, things. Now, interestingly enough, this was just a side note, which I thought was, it was very interesting. Um, the first mention of the word devils in the Bible is in actually Isaiah 13, 21 and Isaiah 34, 14. And in those places, whenever you study that word out, you find out that that word is not only devils, but it can also be uh, a representation of another word. And that word is Seder. Now, Seder, anyone heard that word before, Seder? Okay, now what is a Seder? Like a half goat, half human. Yes, half goat, half man. Now, anytime you look up anything relating to uh, satanic ritualism, that is often the icon that's associated, is that you have a half goat, half man. And so in the Bible, the first mention of the word devil is associated with satyrs. And so that's not a coincidence whatsoever. But it's associated with a half man, half goat. So devilish worship and the worship of devils and idolatry, consuming blood and all that kind of stuff goes back to these strange creatures, which I think is very interesting. So you have that. That's very interesting. So this whole concept of something being half animal, half man, where does that even come from? Because it had to have come from somewhere. That is something that is completely saturated in mythology. Like You can't spend any amount of time watching any sort of a, uh, a movie or a TV show or read a book or studying anything with Greek and Roman mythology and you start finding these strange, weird creatures that are half man, half whatever. You got half man, half horse, half man, half bull, half man, half goat, half man, half fish. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. And they can try to, you know, make them seem better than what they actually are by doing stuff like, you know, Little Mermaid or, or you know, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe or all sorts of different things. But it goes back to things that are very satanic because it's not normal. It's just not normal. And ironically, it's associated with devil worship. So it's interesting. So where does this come from? We'll go back to Genesis 6. Genesis chapter 6. Now it's time to really freak you out. Because it's fun. And some of you already know this, and so you'll just be freaked out again. Okay. Okay, so Genesis chapter 6. 
So we all know that humans beget humans, but if you're going to create something that is half animal, half human, uh, there's something else that's going on within their DNA that causes that to even exist. So the only place in the Bible that really talks about these sorts of strange things, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 6. Okay, verse 1. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply upon the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when... The sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Okay, let's just stop there for a second. So the key here, and the, the phrase here that really stands out, are these sons of God. The sons of God. Now, the only other time that you see this in Scripture is going to be in the New Testament when it talks about people being born again. But the other place in the, in the Old Testament that talks about this is in Job. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 2 and Job 38. Now, at every time in Job chapter 1, Job chapter 2, and Job 38, the sons of God are in reference to a certain part of the angels in heaven that were given this title as the sons of God. And in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, they are associated with Lucifer after he has already fallen. So when you start to really look at all this, you start to find out that the sons of God mentioned in the Old Testament is always negative, with the exception of Job 38. But in Job 1, Job 2, and then Genesis chapter 6, they are fallen angels that followed Lucifer in his rebellion. Now you have these sons of God coming down unto the daughters of men, having sex with these daughters of men, and breeding giants, as it says in verse 4, giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. So not only were they giants, but they were mighty men. They had great power, they had great strength, and they had men of renown, so they had great reputation. This is where I totally believe, 100%, that a lot of these stories of these demigods from the Greek and Roman mythology, like Hercules, which I've always loved those stories. Like, I have loved mythology growing up, but they do go back to Genesis chapter 6, where you have these very strong, powerful, angelic beings taking on the form of human flesh, procreating with women, and then creating giants. And these giants are not anything uncommon. I mean, you start to read through the Old Testament, and you start to come across guys like Goliath who was a giant. He was not a normal human being. And so where did his DNA even come from? Now we know that this was a tactic of the devil to corrupt the seed of mankind because of how we ended last week. Whenever you start to take a look at this at a very broad, so you take a step back and you're like, why would the devil even do something like this? This is the perfect plan. The perfect plan. Because think about it. You got Adam and Eve, all right? Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 26 and 27, they're created and given a purpose. And then chapter 2 gives more details about what happened in chapter 1 about how God created them. But then he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. And this is before they fell into sin. So the devil, who's already fallen at this point in time, knows that God has created this creature who is made in the image of God, which, by the way, Satan was not made in the image of God. Neither were any of the other angels. So this is a very special creation that God has made, and he is telling them to be fruitful and multiply. And by the way, Adam was called a son of God, by the way, 
In Luke chapter 2, chapter 1, chapter 2, it gives the genealogy, and it says that Adam was the son of God. So now you have a son of God who God then commissions to be fruitful and multiply. So when he is fruitful and multiplies, and he has sons, what are they going to be called? The sons of God. Because Adam was the son of God, and he's multiplying the sons of God. But that did not take place, because the devil came in and messed everything up. Because he had already fallen at this point, which means the sons of God that followed him were already fallen at this point. And so if he can get in there and mess up the seed of Adam and Eve, then there would be no Messiah that would come to make things right. It's the perfect plan, the absolute perfect plan, because after they fell in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, God specifically says, from the seed of you, Eve, from the woman, is going to come one who is going to bruise the head of the devil. That was the first prophecy of the Messiah found in the scriptures. So the devil is going to do whatever he can to mess up that seed, because he knows God's going to crush my head. He's going to bruise my head through the seed of the woman. So if I can come in and corrupt the seed of mankind, then God can't come. If I can mess it up, then God is not going to come. All right, follow me so far? Okay, now take a look at Genesis 6 again. Go ahead and take a look at verse 5. All right, so we have the sons of God. They started procreating with the daughters of men. And now you have giants. And now you have these mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And so God saw that the wickedness, wickedness, whenever you study wickedness in the Bible, it's very closely associated with, with sexual fornication. The wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that the imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But who... Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, let's find out why Noah found grace. So God is grieved in his heart that man was made. And the context of of his grieving is not necessarily the fact that, that man was evil, but it began with these sons of God. That's really where it began. When these sons of God came in and started multiplying with the daughters of women, and then you have evil running rampant throughout the whole earth, God's like, man, I shouldn't have even made man. Because now this whole thing is messed up. So now look at verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his, what's the word? Generations. Generations and Noah walked with God. So there's three things here that that gave uh, Noah grace in the eyes of the Lord. First of all, he was a just man. He made mistakes. But he made it right with God. He was just. He was justified. So he did whatever was necessary to, uh, to get rid of the nonsense in his life when it came to sin issues and things. And he was right with God. He was just. He was a just man. Then the second thing was he was perfect in his generations. It does not say that he was perfect in his life because he wasn't a perfect man. He was perfect in his generations. Generations refers to what? Kids. Kids. Lineage. People. It's his generations. He was perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. So Noah's DNA was not corrupted by the sons of God. He was perfect in his generations. So this is the only reason why God could take Noah and his boys and their wives, destroy the whole earth, and then start over. I don't know if you've ever connected the flood to the corrupting of human DNA on the earth. 
But that is the main reason for the flood. It's the context, because what happens next? Noah builds a boat. He preaches righteousness. No one receives it. He gets his family on, and the whole earth is completely wiped out. Why would God do that? Why would God commit genocide over the entire earth, all the inhabitants of the earth? There's only one logical reason. Genesis 6, 1, 2, 3, and 4. That's it. He knows that the devil's good at what he's doing. He can corrupt the human seed. And if this goes any farther, the Messiah cannot be born. I have got to stop this in his tracks. Noah has found grace in my sight. So I'm going to approach him and I'm going to have him do his thing. And he's going to build that boat. And it's going to be, I'm just going to start over with them. And then what does he say with Noah after the flood is over? Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. He gives Noah the same commission that he gave Adam in the very beginning. I'm sure that's just a coincidence, right? Total coincidence. So here's the thing. This whole concept of this angelic seed being mingled among the sons of men is something the devil knew. I mean, he knew what he was doing, and he knew the whole purpose behind it. So now that he can't stop the Messiah from coming, the only reason for him to do it again, and by the way, he's going to do it again, it says that very, very clearly. In fact, I'll show you real quick. Is in, let's see here. Let's go to um, Daniel. Daniel chapter 2. Take a look at this one. Daniel chapter 2. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nam. Okay. Daniel chapter 2. Okay. Daniel chapter 2. Okay, so Daniel chapter 2, and let's start off in verse 36. So this is the context of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and you have the statue. And you got the head of gold, you got the chest and arms of silver, you got the belly of, of brass, and then you have the legs of iron, and then the feet with iron and clay. And he explains all that kind of stuff. So what he explains to Daniel at this point in time is that these are the kingdoms that are going to proceed. It begins with gold, and that will be Babylon, and that's Nebuchadnezzar. And as you work through human history, you find out that you had silver, which is the Medes and the Persians. You had have uh, the, the brass, and you start working your way down through, and then you end with Rome, which are the legs of iron, and they never go away, and then you have the feet that are, that are iron mixed with clay. So he's giving an entire uh, prophecy, basically, of what's going to happen within human history. And so here you have in verse 36, he's explaining that dream. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, Nebuchadnezzar, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these, it shall break in pieces and bruise. So that would be the Roman Empire in verse 40. Verse 41. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And that would be the time that we're in right now. Now look at verse 42. 
and 43. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave to one another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. So you have this whole concept of mingling themselves. Who is the them? That's a very interesting word that's even used there. Mingling themselves with the seed of men. Now, if you take this and you go over to, um, gosh, let's go over to Matthew 24. Take a look at this one, Matthew 24. We're just comparing Scripture to Scripture. Matthew 24, somebody read verse 37. Matthew 24, verse 37. Go ahead, Gavin. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Okay, another one. Are we going to believe what the Bible says? But as the days of Noe, or Noah, were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And then it continues in more details. But as it was in the days of Noah... As it was in the days of Noah, it's going to be that way again. Well, what was going on in the days of Noah? You had a whole lot of stuff that were going on. Genesis 6, sons of God coming unto the daughters of men, producing giants, mighty men, men of old, men of renown, a corrupting of God's way upon the earth. I mean, wanting nothing to do with God whatsoever. And God had to bring down judgment and wipe them all out. That's the second coming, and it's going to happen again. So these things are going to happen again. Daniel 2 talks about the mingling among the seeds of men. And then take a look at uh, Revelation, Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. Let's see if, I don't know if this is the right one. Let me see if it is or not. Mm. Nah, it doesn't give the point. I thought it, I thought it's something that it doesn't say. Never mind. Okay, so you have this whole concept of Genesis 6, sons of God mingling themselves. And so this is where this all comes into play. So it all goes back to this whole point. So when it comes to mythology and things like that, um, it has legitimate traces that go all the way back. Now, Along with this then, and kind of tying it back to the first mention of uh, the word devil and how that could also be translated as the satyr, the half man, half goat thing, there's other things that God specifically says that you're not supposed to do. Um, go back to Leviticus 18. This is a very interesting one. This is a passage that many people in our society uh, do not like, um, but it is one that is very important for you guys to be able to take a look at and understand. So if you were to break out the law of God, it can be broken out into three different parts. Um, if you were to take God's law in the Old Testament and break out all the 600 and, I think it's like 617 or 618 different laws that God exists in, in the Old Testament, they can be broken out into three categories. One is the ceremonial law, and that would be how they do sacrifices, and what sacrifices to do when, and where to put the blood, and where to do all that stuff. So you have all that ceremonial stuff. And then you have the civil law. So the civil law is how to deal with your neighbor. When there are issues going on, you have a, a fight with your neighbor, how are you going to resolve that? If they steal from you, 
you if you accidentally kill their ox or if you you know take a hammer and it slips off of your hand and it kills a guy what are you going to do in that scenario what if you legitimately kill somebody out of anger what are you going to do in that scenario all that stuff but then there is the moral law now the moral law is something that has never changed it has never changed you can take all the moral laws that exist and you can boil them all back down to the Ten Commandments but the moral law is something that has been written in your heart from the day that you were even conceived in your mother's womb it's things that your conscience knows about that you don't need anyone to tell you is right and wrong it's God given and straight out of Romans chapter 2 verse 14 and 15 so these are the things that God has placed on your heart but God put it in writing so that way the Jews would know the moral law now Leviticus 18 deals with issues of the moral law and you can see how this goes back to the Ten Commandments and look at verse 1 and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments, and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. So even before he gets into any details, he says, Listen. Guys, you were in Egypt. Egypt, super corrupt, very foul. By the way, the gods of Egypt, what were they like? Anybody know? Half person, half animal. Half animal, half man. They were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're rip-offs. Total rip-offs. Interesting, just interesting. Total interesting that the, the gods of Egypt were also some of these devilish creatures that exist in idolatry. By the way, the first time that a idol actually shows them in the Bible, anybody know what it is? It's what? Well, yeah, but even before that. I mean, you have the golden calf, which is a bull, which is interestingly enough. But the first time you see the name of a false god, like an idol, show up, it's Dagon. Dagon, which is half man, half fish. And it was the god of the Philistines. Interesting. So there's some more on that one, but that's just very interesting. So the first time you see any sort of idolatrous worship, devil worship, it's associated with a half man, half animal creature. Okay. So Egypt, super corrupt. Don't do after their doings. Canaan, where I'm going to take you, don't do after their doings. And so the things that he's going to list are things that those people did. And he starts off right out of the gate, verse 6, None of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. So he deals with, listen, you're not supposed to have sex with your family members. And he gives, honestly, you go through verse 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, all the way down, and he says, don't, don't get intimate with, with your, your father-in-law, with your mother-in-law, with your, your, when it comes to your daughter-in-law, your son-in-law. Don't do with your cousins. With, I mean, he goes through in great detail, and he's like, you're not supposed to do that. So don't commit any sort of incest. So that means that this is what Egypt was doing, and this is what Canaan was doing. And it's closely associated with idol worship. It's very interesting. And so then, keep going down, and then he works his way through all those details. And then he says in, uh, let's see here, verse 20, he ends this whole section off by saying, Moreover, thou shalt not lie carnally with thy neighbor's wife to defile thyself with her. Which again goes back to the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery. Then verse 21. And thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire to Molech. What? I thought we were talking about adultery. I thought we were talking about sexual immorality. Yeah, and so when you have children, don't sacrifice your children to the fire of Molech. Neither shall thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. What in the world's Molech? Anyone ever, what's the picture of Molech? 
half man, half bull. Coinkinink? Think not. <laughs> but if you go back and you study some of these rituals that would take place with Molech, I mean, outside of what the Bible describes, you go back through some of the, the traditions of history, you have people that literally took babies alive and put them upon the altar of Molech, and there is fire in the midst of where this god of Molech would be, and they're burning babies alive. Like, how sick and twisted would you have to be to do anything like that? And think about it. Just think about it. The babies are not going to go quiet. The moms are not going to go quiet. I mean, this would have been a gut-wrenching, horrifying experience as they're sacrificing human flesh and blood to devils. Molech. So don't do as Egypt did. Don't do as Canaan does. Do not pass any of your seed through the fires of Molech. Then... Verse 22, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind is abomination. Don't commit homosexuality and don't, lesbianisms, homosexuality, none of it, none of it. So that means that that is also closely associated with idolatry and devilish worship or else why would God put that in there? And then after that, 23, neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith, neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion. So don't be a part of any sort of bestiality. So ladies, guys, don't have sex with animals. Why would God have to say that? Because they do it. Yes. But again, you start to put all these sorts of things together, and then he says in verse 24... Where he says, Defile not yourselves in any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. And he keeps going through, Keep my judgments, my statutes, my all. So, this whole concept of beings being half man, half animal, have legitimate traces back through human history to Genesis 6, sons of God, angels coming down, and not only having sex with women but having sex with other animals and other beasts and other creatures, creating abominations in those lines of DNA as well, giving them superhuman powers and, I mean, abominations that are totally ringing true throughout Roman and Greek mythology. Andy? I have a legit question about verse 6. Yeah, go for it. How did they then reproduce? I mean, at some point, yes. Adam and Eve's kids and their, you know, yes. there was... Intercourse between siblings, right? Yes, yes. No. But that was before. Yeah, that was before. Let me sure I understand that correctly yeah. where we're at. So. Yeah, yeah when you, whenever you take a look at the science of it, the farther down you get the line of human DNA, and as it's passed through from generation to generation to generation, the likelihood of mutations and defects existing within DNA is more and more prevalent the closer you get to family. God knew when that time would be, and so in Leviticus 17 and 18, this is when he institutes the formal rule that you should not do this. So it was a common practice in human history prior to Leviticus, but now God's saying, all right, we need to stop this. He because there was a point to cut it. Okay. Exactly. And so this is where God instituted. All of the laws and things that we have regarding hygiene and even civil laws that we have really come from the Old Testament. I don't know. I mean, if you were to really study that, you'd find out it's amazing how much even our American government, the way our government is established, the rules and laws that we have, come from the Jewish people. 
It comes from Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers, every, all places like that. So a lot of the things that we have in practice are because of, of what God instituted. Even when it comes to, I mean, God even gets down to, you know, when you have to go to the bathroom, where do you go to do that? And how do you actually, I mean, he lays all that stuff out because he doesn't want his people to be running rampant with disease as they were in other cultures and in other societies. So, kind of bringing it back to the whole vampire, werewolf, and all this stuff. Do they have traces in the Bible? Absolutely, they do. 100%. It is, I mean, you cannot debate this at all. Within the Bible or within our culture today, any sort of satanic ritualism, devilish worship is always associated with blood. It is associated with human flesh. Um, even some of the stuff that I read online uh, talks about you need to be careful even when it comes to casting spells using blood magic. And like people, I mean, this is stuff that I think is legit. I do. And it's interesting how they even talk about it because they even say, you know, there are certain rules that you should set up. Like when it comes to you shouldn't be consuming other people's blood. And they give so many reasons. Like this one person said um, that don't consume other people's blood because diseases can be easily transmitted through blood. But then the next point says, and, and you really shouldn't be consuming the blood of others because in consuming the blood of another person, you're consuming their life force. And in some way, it's them also even being submissive to you and giving of you their life force. And so some of these things, people kind of shrug off me like, yeah, whatever, that's nonsense. But I wouldn't be so sure. I would not be so sure. Jamie. Well, the crazy thing is, like working in healthcare, um, the health witnesses very much believe that the blood is restored of life. Yeah. So they will not take blood products from right. any other human being because they believe that it defiles the bloodline. So, like, they will, like, if you had a car accident and you were Jehovah's Witness and all you need is a blood transfusion to survive it, they will turn it down and they will choose that. Yep. Yep, totally. So, a lot of these things have legitimate traces. So, I don't want to freak you out too much, but the Bible does talk about it. And, he, and God is very specific. There's certain things that God is very adamant and very clear about. Stay away from this. He's very clear, and He does that. He's made it very clear about blood. He's made it very clear about idol worship. He's made it very clear about sacrificing your child unto devils and idols and all that. Stay away from it completely. And it's interesting because we also know, and this is just a side note, which we'll end with this, which you're not going to want me to end with this, but I'm going to end with this. Whenever you take a look at Judas, so when you look at Judas, and what did Jesus say about Judas? He, didn't he say, I have chosen you 12 and one of you is a devil. So that means that Judas was not completely human. Interesting. And then it's interesting, just as a side note, that at the Last Supper, when Jesus is giving the, really the first communion, and he says, this is my body, this is my blood, Judas consumes that and then leaves to betray him. It's interesting. So you have a guy who's a devil who believes in what the Roman Catholics would believe as far as transubstantiation, that this cup actually is legitimate blood of Jesus Christ and he consumes it and then thinks it's okay to go out and then just crucify the Messiah, the Son of God. There's some interesting things there. There's just some really interesting things there. So God's very clear. And, and this is probably as clear as I can make it on this particular issue. These things have legitimate traces back throughout human history to things that God has specifically said you need to stay away from. And I think it is heavily involved with satanic practices that are still alive and well today.
Um, it's all over the place. I mean, there are stories of people that even I mean, modern-day vampires where they are addicted to consuming people's blood. And they don't talk about it in the news, but it's all over the place. Um, and so those things exist today. God says stay completely away from it. And, uh, and as it was in the days of Noah, Genesis 6, sons of God procreating with women, creating these abominations, so shall it be before Christ comes back again. So, it's interesting. So these are the reasons why I love the Bible. Because it really gives us an eye-opening uh, clue into a lot of these sorts of things. Yeah. Could you tie in like supernatural things to this? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, there's a lot of things, and this is where it starts to go down the road a little bit with conspiracy. I tried to, to give you guys as much Bible as I could, tying it in with some examples from mythology and things that it makes sense logically. But you could really take and run with this. I mean, there, there are people like, um, you know, when you start to really look at this from the angle of... Um, well, I guess the one we've talked about the most has been Tom Brady. So Tom Brady's wife is a practicing witch. And she, every year he has gone to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl, she has told him ahead of time. And 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 there are common stories of people that are in great positions of power and influence that do talk to devils. Um, the other one that I've heard throughout the years has been like Beyonce has been another one. Um, but there's been, there's been a few other ones that have, that you start going down the, the trail of the things that they practice and that they worship. And there's certain things where I'm, I'm, I'm like, Hmm, that's interesting. Now I'm not going to go down that road, but it's just interesting that you have these sorts of occult practices that exist in a modern, even new age movement. Uh, Luciferianism is another one that gets out there. That's really, really popular and gained a lot of steam. And, uh, and they even use the Bible to justify some of the things that they believe when it comes to devil worship. Um, so you just got to really be careful. And so when you stick with what the Bible says and, and you believe what the Bible says, which is where I default to every single time, uh, these are the things that we know for sure. And the reason why the devil is going to be bringing about some of these things again is because he's going to deceive the whole world. I mean, I think it's f kind of fascinating that, you know, even superheroes really didn't come on the scene as far as in comics and stuff like that until about 1940. And now we have the ability to see them on the big screen as if they're in real life. Like, I think that the world is being set for something that's going to happen in the future. I mean, UFO sightings that go back to the late 1800s and all the way through up to today. Like, I think there's so many things that have happened within our society that once it legitimately happens, people are going to be like, oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they'll just accept it. If you were to go back to the mid-1700s and you had some guy showing up as an alien from outer space, you know, looking like a human with superhuman strength, people would be freaked out of their mind. But today, I don't think so. I think people would be like, I knew it! I knew it! And they'd buy right in. It would be part of the whole celebrity culture. It's just going that direction, and you can see it. And people that don't admit that or even admit the possibility of it, I mean, those are the ones that are delusional. So, all right, so that's it. So we'll end it there. So hopefully I didn't get too crazy for you, but these are some things I've thought about a lot. Um, I don't major on these things because majoring on these things is a, is a waste of time, but it is very interesting and it's fascinating because God does talk about some aspects of this stuff. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time together tonight. I do pray that we would um, love you uh, more and more and more as each day goes by. So thank you, Father, for always taking care of us and loving us and uh, providing for us. And I pray that we would um, just be very obedient in our hearts towards you. So we love you, Father, and we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank mm-hmm. you.